Father, as we go throughout life and our minds are so clouded and so distracted, as we get caught up in so many different things and and we tend to forget about what's most important, I pray that we would have so many moments where you just bring us to your feet because there, there is no time, there is no distraction, there is no anything that could pull our eyes away from you. The the lowest valleys and the highest peaks are nothing when compared to you. And in a world that keeps moving faster and faster and faster, we need you all the more every day. Sometimes I feel so inadequate, like there's nothing that I can really bring to the table, but Father, please help me remember that these words are not mine, they are yours. That this word was not given so that it could be something we could try to perfect, but it was given to us to show that you have already done the work. You have already lived the perfect life and set the standard that we never could. And because of that, we have hope through you. Pray that you will remind us of that every moment of every day. And I pray that you will bless your word as we study it this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Welcome to Simple Church. Uh, We are so thankful that you could uh, be here with us this morning. If you've been with us, you'll know that we were going through our study of the book of Romans. And then um, a couple weeks ago, we covered the first 14 verses of Romans 6. And then we kind of had to take um, a hiatus. Um, Two weeks ago, we didn't have church. We were not here. And then last week, um, Brother Joseph Morris was here and he brought us a, a message on the ministry of reconciliation. And I I thought he did a fantastic job. And so we're so thankful for him and his willingness to come and step in in those moments. Um, But we're gonna gonna kind of uh, get back into our series in Romans today. It's an expositional series where we've just been going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And um, since we've been gone, I, I feel like we're kind of at the point where we, we sort of needed to do a review anyways, but um, especially now since we've been gone. And if you haven't noticed, what Paul kind of does is he'll speak and then he'll ask a question. And then he'll speak again and he'll ask a question. And you're kind of wondering why he's asking questions because he'll ask questions and then he'll immediately go and he'll answer them. But I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to make this kind of set up more like a conversation than anything else. It's a letter to the church at Rome, so obviously it's not a back and forth conversation. But I think that's the feel that he wants us to get. Because what he does when he asks a question is he's kind of addressing a question that he thinks his audience might have had about whatever it is that he just said. And so it's almost set up like a two-way conversation. And so, you know, I was thinking about um, how we communicate with people. And more often than not, we communicate with people through a text message. That's the way our world works. We're texting each other all the time. And so 
it, it kind of, I don't want to make it, I don't want to take it out of context, but if you need kind of a modern example, if you need more of a, a kind of a general overview of it, if it was a two-way conversation, Paul would kind of come in and he would just, he introduces himself and he says that he's there to bring to them the gospel. And they're kind of like, okay, well, what's this gospel, this good news that you're talking about? And he says in chapter one, verse 16, it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Um, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And at this point, they're probably kind of like, okay, well, salvation, who, who needs saving? Um, and he essentially says, uh, everyone does. And they're like, we're Jews. How, why do we need saving? And he says, because you sin. Well, at this point, they probably think that he's kind of confused. And they're like, no, 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 you've got us confused. See, we have the law and we follow it, so we're good. And he says, no, you're not because you don't follow it perfectly. In order to be justified by the law, you would have to follow the law perfectly and you don't. Therefore, it doesn't save you. It, it doesn't make you any closer to God than anyone else. And then they bring up, or he brings up this example of Abraham, which they probably would have brought up. And they would have said, well, what about Abraham? I mean, he was justified through his circumcision. Can't we be justified in the same way? And he goes, no, he wasn't justified through his circumcision. In Genesis 15, 6, it says that he believed in the spoken promises of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that was actually long before his circumcision. And so they're kind of confused now probably because what he's done is essentially thrown out the way that they've lived their entire life, which is this idea that if they follow the law to the letter, they're good. And so... He kind of throws that out the window and they're like, okay, well, how can we be justified then? If it's not through the law, how can we be justified? And he says, through grace, which is this unmerited favor that God has already provided. And he's provided it through the work of Christ at the cross. And, and what Christ did at the cross was he died the death that we deserved because of our sin. He put that sin on his shoulders. That sin died with him. And through that, the effects of that sin, the consequences of that sin will have no dominion and no hold over those who are found in Christ. And so their next question probably, or, or their next thought would have probably been, okay, well, if we are not living according to the law now, and if we're, if we're living under grace and not under the law, then does it really matter if we sin? Like if the guy in traffic cuts me off and I just come up beside him and flip him off, is it gonna matter? And then that's kind of where we're at. And Paul somewhat addresses that. And to show you how absolutely nerdy I am to help me think about it, I created like this fake text thread of Paul talking to the church at Rome. And I was gonna put it up here, but I was like, I don't wanna make y'all fall asleep yet. So, um, but that's how nerdy I am. I would love to tell you it didn't take me 45 minutes to do that, but it did. So we're gonna get into uh, Romans chapter six. And um, we're covering verses 15 through 23 today, but we're gonna kind of move back just a couple verses. And so I'm gonna start in verse 12. It's not gonna be on the screen. But as we read this word, um, I, I encourage you to be reading along with your own Bibles. I encourage you to have your Bibles out. Um, and we're gonna read it and then we're gonna pray over it and go through it. So uh, Romans chapter six, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it, to hear it, to learn from it this morning. I pray that as we do, that you will protect your word, you will protect um, its holiness, that there is nothing that would be said about it that is untrue, and that through the study of your word, you would be glorified by us becoming ever closer to you, by us becoming more obedient to you in everything that we do, in every way that we act. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity to learn and study your word this morning. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we kind of read that background in uh, verses 12 through 14, kind of catching you up on where I said we were. Again, they're, they're kind of thinking now, okay, if... Sin has no dominion over us, then, you know, if we sin every now and then, it's really not a big deal, right? I mean, it has no hold on us, so it's just kind of something we do. We're under grace, we're forgiven, and we're fine. It doesn't really matter. And he addresses that in verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he answers it by saying, by no means. And he kind of explains why in verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? This verse teaches us two very important things. The first is that we are all slaves to something. We are all slaves to something. When Adam and Eve were created... They were created being controlled by God. They were created with this throne in their hearts that was occupied by God. But when they sinned, what it did was it didn't take away that nature. It perverted our nature so that the throne is still there, but now there's something else occupying the throne. There's something else that is driving our desires and our passions. And it can be, as we'll see in a minute, it can be all sorts of different things. But either way, what happens is that 
in these human terms, which Paul's speaking in, we'll explain in a minute, we're all slaves to something. And so I think it's pretty important that we know what we're slaves to. I think it's pretty important that we pick the right master. And we can see that there are very many different things that we can be slaves to. If you go to Galatians 5, um, starting in verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 19, we can see that these are the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The works of the flesh are right here. This is a good long list. I think it, it, it probably does a good job of covering most of the things that we struggle with. And, and they may, um, they're different for all of us. You know, some of us, um, we, are, we are being held down to sexual temptation. That may come through the form of um, fornication or pornography. Um, there's many different things that can come through. Some of us, we give in to our anger. That person cuts us off in traffic and it is everything that we can do not to just, you know, get up under their bumper and run them into the ditch, right? Um, I'm never like that. I'm glad Carrie's not here. She'd be looking at me. Um, but, you know, some of us are like that. Some of us um, are slaves to our pride. Um, there's a chance that probably some of you when I talked about us being slaves to something, you probably sat there and were like, no, I mean, I struggle with stuff, but it, you know, there's nothing that really just is a real big temptation for me. You're a slave to your pride. You have put that off. You have deceived yourself to try to convince yourself that there's nothing you really do that's that bad or that big of a deal. Some of us are slaves to our reputation. We will do absolutely anything in any way to anyone in order to keep our reputation upheld. Um, you know, there's so many different things that we can be slaves to. And, and I think we're all slaves at times to many different things. But either way, we're always a slave to something. There's always something that is driving our desires and our passions. But then it also gives us a second list right here. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these things are a little bit different than the first list because what's driving our passions and our desires in, in verses 22 and 23 is the Spirit. And what that does is that produces all of these things. It should produce these fruits of the Spirit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says, against such things, there is no law. And then I also want you to look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Um, hold on to that one. We're kind of going to come back to it in a minute. But what we see here is that there is always something controlling our desires. That's the first thing that this verse tells us. We're always slaves to something. But the second thing that these verses tell us is that whoever you're a slave to leads to a specific destination. And, and let, me, let me explain this kind of slavery idea in this way. If you're having a difficult time kind of in your mind trying to figure out what you're a slave to, whatever you come running to when it calls, you are a slave to. Whatever you come running to when it calls, you are a slave to. We all have things that we will go out of our way to do. We will break plans. We will get up out of the bed at two in the morning. We will, and, and sometimes it doesn't seem like a big deal. Sometimes we're getting up out of the bed at two in the morning because we're hungry and we want to eat that third bowl of cereal, right? But we all have things that we're running to when it calls. That's what we're slaves to. And think about this logically, okay? If, if somebody in the back over there calls me and I come running, I'm going to end up over there. Actually, I might end up face first at the bottom, but I'm going to end up somewhere. I'm not staying right here. When you run somewhere, wherever you run to, you're running to a specific destination. And what we see right here is that you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. These are two very, very, very different destinations. Again, I think it's very wise that we carefully choose our master. Verses 17 and 18 say, But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This doesn't seem to make very much sense. It says that we were once slaves to sin and we were set free, talking about the children of God, have been set free by being obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, being obedient to the gospel, to the word of God, and in that we have been set free from sin in order to become slaves of righteousness. And it kind of leaves you sitting there thinking, okay, we're, we're not free. We just changed masters. We're not free. But what Paul says in verse 19 is he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Most likely, what, who he's talking to in Rome, many of these Jews in Rome are newer Christians. They've been Jews their entire lives because they're natural born Jews, but they have only probably been born again Christians for a very short period of time, if they are at all. And so you know how it is when you're a newer Christian. You essentially have to learn how to think about things differently. You have to learn how to go through your thoughts differently. You have to take apart everything that you've ever thought or believed, and you have to figure out how it measures up with the word of God. When you become a Christian, there is a breaking down process that occurs so that you can build back up in the right way. 
And Paul is trying to help them with that. He's not trying to throw something at them that they're not going to understand. And so what he says is that he's giving this example of slavery to give them a natural, physical, visible explanation of something that is spiritual. But what he's saying is that there's always something that controls our heart. There's always something that's giving us orders, and when it gives us orders, we obey immediately. There's something. But then as we keep going in verse 19, he says this, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Again here, we see this destination, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness or righteousness leading to sanctification. But one of the most striking things here is his phrasing. For just as you once, that's past, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present. That is a present active verb. That is a command. It is not a suggestion. It is not Paul saying, this might help you. This will make you feel better. This will make you more comfortable. This is a command. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. If he's commanding us to do that, and if this word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, therefore the Holy Spirit is commanding this audience to do that, doesn't, or don't you think that he has given them or empowered them with the ability to obey his command? If he is telling us to now present your members as slaves to righteousness, that means we have been given the ability to do so. We have been set free from the slavery of sin. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What he says when he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Again, it doesn't seem to make sense. If we're slaves, we're not free. But think about it. We actually know people like this. We have family. We have friends that look at us this way. They see us as slaves to righteousness, they, but they see themselves as free. So they're like, yeah, I can go and I can drink a six-pack a day and it doesn't matter. I can sleep around and it doesn't matter. But you have all of these rules you have to follow. Bless your heart. They see themselves as free and they see us as slaves to righteousness. But actually, what it's saying about them is for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. It says, okay, yeah, when you were slaves to sin, you didn't have to um, follow this word. You, you really had no concern about this. But it says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Living that kind of life may look free now, but it's sending you to a destination that is an eternity of bondage. You may not necessarily see the consequences of your actions right now or the full consequences of your actions at least, but there will come a day where you will. 
The end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now, I love whenever the Bible says that because it's always about to bring, or usually about to bring an overwhelming hope. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, there it is, there it is again, been set free, but we're slaves. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So now that we have been set free from sin and we are slaves, we are being controlled by God, we are obeying His will and His command, our fruit is sanctification whose destination is eternal life. And then verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it, this, this was kind of short and sweet today. I don't think it needed to be any longer than it was. I think it's pretty straightforward by what it says. What Paul ends with is this. When you are a slave to sin, when you obey sin, you get exactly what you work for. You get exactly what you earn for the wages of sin is death. But when you are a slave to God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some of you today are Christians who have been holding on to a slavery that you have already been set free from. You are sitting in a cell whose doors have already been opened. And there's many reasons you could be doing that, but I think of a lot of times it's, if I'm honest, it's probably because we're afraid that as soon as we get out, it'll just be something else. I may be set free from this sexual temptation, but then that drink is going to come calling and I'll go running to it. We would honestly rather sit where we are than have to take a step of faith and actually trust in the promises of God. Some of you are not Christians at all. You've never called upon God. You've never asked for freedom from your slavery to sin because you don't see yourselves as slaves to sin. You don't see that you need that freedom. Or if you do see that, that you're a slave to something, it's probably something that brings you some type of enjoyment right now. And so you're just gonna keep going with it. I know people that have been dying from stage four terminal lung cancer, but were still smoking a pack a day because it made them feel good for a few minutes. And you know, I'm already dying, so what does it matter? Or maybe I'm not dying yet, but I know I'm going to, but it makes me feel good, who cares? The problem with that is that even if it may give you some enjoyment now, in the end, it's only gonna give you what you earn. And that's death. It's only gonna give you what you deserve and what you work for. But when you choose to obey righteousness, when you are a slave to righteousness and a slave to God, 
what you will find is not only does he give you a free gift of eternal life, but the enjoyment that you thought you had in the other life pales in comparison. We often talk about the eternal benefits of being a Christian. And trust me, the eternal benefits, that's why we're Christians. But we can't ignore that God gives us a joy right now that we can't get anywhere else. And that joy is present even in the darkest of times. When you're a slave to sin, you are building up these things for yourself that in the end you can't keep. When you die, you can't take things with you. But when you're a slave to righteousness, you get something that you could never earn. And there was a, a missionary, I'm going to leave you with this. There was a missionary named Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You have the opportunity in your seat at this altar, wherever God calls you to do that, to become a slave to righteousness today. But what you'll find is that in being a slave to righteousness, you will have a freedom that you have never imagined. You may think you're free now, but I, I wish I could explain it to you. I wish I had words, I really do. All I'm asking you is just to trust that God is who he says he is and he does what he says he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the opportunity to be a slave to your righteousness. That may sound silly. That may sound like a, a very terrible life, but Father, I know and so many in here know that it actually brings about a freedom that is unfathomable, that is unexplainable. It brings about a joy that will triumph even in the darkest of times and the worst of physical and emotional circumstances. You promise us like Galatians 5 verse 24 said that when you died and we laid our sins on you, our desires and our, our works of the flesh, our passions of the flesh died with you. And then you resurrected from the grave and in doing so you left those behind and you gave us this eternal free gift of everlasting life that we get to spend sharing your glory in worship of you. We pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds even as we leave this building and go back to our homes and our lives. I pray that this would be heavy on our hearts and our minds and that every day we would be very intentional about choosing our master. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.